Hi everyone and welcome to the Vet Method Podcast, where we bring team training concepts to practices who want to grow revenues through leveraging a high-performance team. My name is Sanjay Mangabai and I'm based in the southwest of the UK. And today, I'm really pleased to be joined by Dr. Celine. Hi, Celine. Welcome. Hi. So, whereabouts are you today, Celine? I'm in France. I'm spending a year in France with my family. I usually work and uh, live in Quebec, okay. southern eastern Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're spending a year in France now, close to Switzerland. Oh, fantastic. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a real treat for me to speak to somebody in the morning because most of my interviews are in, are in the States or Canada or somewhere, and it's usually late in the afternoon. So yeah, this is, this is great for me. <laughs> so, Same for me. A little bit about Celine. She has been in small animal practice since 1999. She developed Euthabag, a pet body bag that impacted millions of people in critical moments of their life or career. And it is now used in 25 countries by thousands of practices. Celine, I really love the idea of the whole Euthabag concept. When... When did it first come to market? 2016. So we're in our seventh year. Okay. And you came up with the idea because of frustrations in practice. Thank you. You're the first, but it is the question people ask me all of the time. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly it. Nobody came up with the answer like you did. It it was frustration. Just one after another, after I calculated about three to 4,000 euthanasia I performed before I came up with the idea. Mm -hmm. I just had this turmoil. Mm-hmm. every time and just felt that was wrong and felt I was in uh, cognitive disruption there doing something I did not agree with and mm-hmm. thinking and feeling that veterinary medicine was stressful enough I didn't need any more stress in my life and mm-hmm. I was so proud of everything else I was doing in vet med I think mm-hmm. we're like champion of the world providing the best care I know mm-hmm. and so yeah and like I gotta find something and I looked up on my computer and I'm like, okay, looking for body bags online, you know, and I'm like, oh, if somebody comes and take my, if the police comes to my place and look at my, my history on my computer, they're going to think I'm planning a, a massive <laughs> murder. <Yeah. laughs> just, I was just looking for, I'm like, I, I need to find something better for my clients. Couldn't find anything, anything, okay. nowhere. And then I like, okay, oh, wow. Well, I can figure this out. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll design it and market it. You know, I'm a vet. Mm-hmm. I can figure it out. I'll read the book. I don't know how to market. I don't know how to sell, but, you know, mm-hmm. figure it out. That's yeah. how it all started. Yeah. Uh, I just want to say well done because, you know, ideas are common, but actually doing something about it, implementing them is, is pretty uncommon. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So you've done a good thing there. Okay. So yeah, but I just, I just didn't know what I was getting myself into. And I compared it with having children. I knew it was going to be challenging. I knew it was going to be hard, but I had no clue how challenging it was going to be. So there was a lot of innocence in there. Yeah, no. Well, well done. So the title of the podcast is Feeling Compassion Satisfaction. And we're going to talk about that for the next few minutes. Okay, Celine. So starting with question number one, who is your ideal client? Basically, any veterinary professionals. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, from the receptionist to the veterinarian, with also including the veterinary nurse, of course, mm-hmm. often dealing with uh, these beloved pets' bodies, mm-hmm. all providing compassionate care every day and often performing euthanasia or having to deal with people losing their pet on a daily basis as well. Okay, so basically so, anyone who has to consider yeah. or deal with and manage compassion, particularly euthanasia in pets. Fantastic. Perfect. That leads us nicely on to question number two. What's the biggest problem your clients face and how do you solve it? I help decrease the level of stress around euthanasia and feeling compassion satisfaction by giving the best end-of-life care to honor that bond and the relationship with the family. 
We're helping getting rid of the turmoil by putting a beloved pet in a rubbish bag. We're also reducing the risk of professional complaints as euthanasia is one of the most common ground for complaints, Mm -hmm. mostly because of miscommunication, not because the pet wasn't euthanized. But the client perception is is major for euthanasia as people are into in the middle of a an emotional tsunami and don't mm-hmm. understand everything and don't we don't speak exactly the same language. So that's what we solve. It's all the stress around euthanasia. Yeah. And obviously euthanasia, as you mentioned, is a time of, of high emotions, you know, uh, and um, a certain vulnerability of people, you know, in that room, you know, the emotions, they become very vulnerable and they remember how you make them feel, you know, it's not so much what you do and it's the small things sometimes, you know, and yeah, the devil. The devil is in the details. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's get on to question number three. What are the typical symptoms that people experience with their problem? You know, they're kind of pain points. Yeah, you know, it's it's just unnecessary stress. It's it's value break, uh, cognitive disruption, imposter syndrome, compassion fatigue, burnout. Mm-hmm. As you said, because there's so many details to manage when mm-hmm. we're dealing with these families dealing with this pet as well that we want to pass without any stress, without any pain. Well, there's so many details to think about and take into account that this is what people feel, veterinary professionals, because of a lack of education, just don't feel they're bringing the best. And we're Mm -hmm. all perfectionists. We need to be on top of things. We need to feel professionals. And because we're missing education, we don't feel totally competent, especially with a family in tears when you were never taught Mm. how to deal with them, how to look at them, how to talk with your body, how to work on how you feel personally, because people will feel that. Mm. So there's just so many things that to deal with and no education, which doesn't make any sense. We get education on things we'll never do in vet medicine, Mm. and we get no education for this experience that we will all deal with on almost a daily basis. So it's just so important for vet professionals as we are perfectionists, we need to be skilled and we need to be taught how to do things. Absolutely. Well. You know, you're, you're so right. There's a certain amount of emotional fatigue that veterinary professionals can, can have, especially as euthanasia seems to be such a common thing that we do in the practice, almost the most common procedure that we do, you know, sadly. But RCVS recently said, quoted that I think 85% of pets will need euthanasia these days. And so we have to somehow be able to manage the emotions for the client, but also for ourselves, you know. Exactly. And manage is the right word because we have to deal with it. That's that's something we cannot avoid. Mm -hmm. And we have the empathy. We have the emotional intelligence. We have the compassion. We have everything. We just don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to show that to people. So we just need to be guided to be able to feel that all that we're missing, I find, is that to feel that we're doing the right thing because we love to be following guidelines. We love to be told that we are, you know, following the practice standards and so on. Mm-hmm. We, we love to be in line with the rules. But with euthanasia, there's, there are no guidelines. It's just like, mm, you know, do how you think it's good. But because mm-hmm. we don't speak the same language, we're not in the same pants as our clients, we don't do the, the thing in an optimal way necessarily or let's say with our instinct, because we're talking another language and we see euthanasia on a daily basis, they will see it maybe once in their life, once every five years, 10 years. So we we really just need to change our our glasses. Absolutely. That is so true, Celine. That brings us on to question number four. What are the common mistakes that people make when trying to solve their problem? 
you know, the things they thought might work, the things they try but fail? Yeah, well, there are not so much training about euthanasia around. You know, there's training. There's so much CPD available free everywhere on everything, mm -hmm. you know, renal failure and Lyme disease and so on. But around euthanasia, there's not much. And I came up with that training because I couldn't find anything that resonated with me that was practical. Mm -hmm. I needed something practical. So often what people are told is, you know, giving vague guidelines such as, well, you know, you need to be empathetic with families. You need to show you care. You need to give pre-euthanasia sedation. Okay, mm -hmm. well, how do I do that? You know, so very, veterinary professionals are analytical, introvert, perfectionists mm -hmm. with very little education on how to talk to clients, especially people in tears that experience the most stressful experience of their life. Mm -hmm choosing that moment for their beloved companion to die, you know, so they yeah. need key sentences to say. So this is what I share mm -hmm. in uh, those webinars, key sentences, doses, and meg per kig, not mm -hmm. just a sedation, you know, what molecule, which one, and how do I give it? Mm -hmm. And also so recipes and protocols to follow and things that you can use the next day. And for example, say, instead of saying just being pathetic, you know, saying, uh, for example, for the, the longest time I used to say, you know, he's not going to suffer. Mm -hmm. Well, instead of that, now I say he's going to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So it's such a detail. It's one word, but it, it's a world of difference, right? So for so many years, I thought saying he's not going to suffer was, was fine, but it's, we can really do better by saying he's not going to suffer. He's going to be feeling the best he's been feeling in months because of the product I'm going to use. He's not going to feel any pain. He's not going to feel mm -hmm. any stress. So this is just, you know, tweaking a little bit things to make it more positive. So just practical tips, because I've, I've done so many trainings myself to come up with mm -hmm. all these tips, but often, you know, I couldn't find an answer on what to say. No, you're absolutely right. You know, you hit it on the point when you said, you know, people give very vague descriptions, you know, what does being empathetic actually mean? And um, so, so what we do need is the kind of thing you're talking about, actual words to use, you know, actual things to do, you know, setting up the room, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. All those things matter and will convey some empathy, some compassion, and no one teaches that. So well done for coming and and doing that. I just hope that you know a lot of vets get to listen to your webinars and listen to that advice because it's sorely needed. A big mistake for me was just thinking when I first graduated was thinking just focusing on the technical bits, just be able to give the injection. You know, no one managed the emotions. You know, for the client. I was just happy if I successfully got a vein you know and put a catheter in it or and but the more difficult part is actually managing people's uh, expectations and uh, and emotions at the time right thank you so question number five what is one valuable free action that someone listening to this can implement that will help solve that problem what's your top tip celine well i was just gonna say you know just have your staff take our free CPD that are, by the way, race approved because mm -hmm. there's so many tips. And I was going to share my best tip and uh, our last question, mm -hmm. my valuable tip. So mm -hmm. it was just because there's so many, so many members in our teams now, it's getting bigger and bigger. And there's so much, so much things to talk about around euthanasia. So mm -hmm. I think everybody needs to have the same training. So we can hope that any clients that comes to our practice have the same kind of experience, same kind of standard. Mm -hmm. So because, as you mentioned, I had absolutely no training in vet school on the science of death and mm -hmm. the art of euthanasia. Yeah. So I had to learn it the very hard way, you know, being yelled at 
by clients and providing substandard experiences to say the least. And I had some really bad ones that I could, that could have been prevented, you know, mm -hmm. just like a disease with a vaccine, just with a couple of hours, just good education. Mm -hmm. It was extremely stressful as a new grad. You remember that, right? The first mm -hmm. ones you had to do and you, you, you never get to practice that in, yeah. in, you know, at school or, or even when you're a student in the practice. So for 15 years, I really struggled not saying the right things, feeling stressed, guilty, guilty of not being providing the best, you know, not mm -hmm. using the right pre sedation for the, that right patient, not using the right vein, something mm -hmm. as simple as that. I figured after years of practice, I could use a vein. And so that could be my best tip. After 10 years, I figured I could use the, the veins in the hind mm -hmm. limbs instead yeah. of being in the front, in the animal's bubble. And with the client looking at me, using the cephalic vein after a while, you know, I use a saphenous vein in the back. I could be mm -hmm. there with my vet nurse. We're mm -hmm. both together in the back, you know, quiet. Yeah. And the client is in front kissing his pet. Everybody's happy. And mm -hmm. what a world of difference just choosing the right vein. I put all of my little tips that I find along the way in a seven-hour CPD platform. Mm -hmm. And the website is veterinaryeducation.com. We'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. And so now the difference is I know how to provide a positive euthanasia experience. People uh, will forever remember, as you mentioned, and be mm -hmm. grateful for. Yeah. Then I feel I'm making a difference. The euthanasia I'm going to lead is not going to be the same as the one at the other side of the street. This is going to be very different. And this is what pulled me in vet med when I was eight years old. I just mm -hmm. wanted to make a difference in mm -hmm. pets' life and people's life. So like, this is like my child's dream coming, yeah. you know. So now when I see a euthanasia on the schedule, I'm not like, <gasps> You know, oh, is it going to go well? Is he going to bark? Is he going to grow? Mm. I'm just like, oh, I'm going to be providing the best experience I can. And I cannot mm. control everything. And the important is just to feel that I'm, I'm doing my best, you know. So instead of being a stress, this is now bringing me compassion, satisfaction. That mm. really actually fills up my tank instead of emptying it. So it's a total, you know, it's inverse. It's the reverse of what it was before when I started. And now I feel fortunate to share these unique moments of great humanity you know i feel mm -hmm. alive maybe you experience that in your career as well at first you want to perform surgery you want to do something very challenging in a technical you know point of view but then as i grow older i'm like no i just want to have great experiences with people i want to share with them you know so i just i just love that how this has changed in my career and i, I was not expecting to be a euthanasia you know specialist when i was at vet mm. school at all yeah. you know but i really enjoy doing that now bringing light to this topic that is mm -hmm. a little taboo or left over and just you know nobody really wants to they just want to get away with it you know do it run to the freezer and just mm -hmm. forget about it go see that puppy you know but now i, I think that by bringing light to it we can all benefit or feel better in something that we can't avoid anyways yeah no you know what you're saying is so true and it resonates with me that you know i think we're still one of the only professions licensed to take life i know it's changing in human medicine at the moment but it is a privilege to be able to do that humanely and kindly compassionately and we get more sentiments of gratitude from ending life than to actually extending it you know, with treatment and surgery yeah and beautiful like cards yeah. handwritten yeah. chocolate everything yeah. yeah it's the only one that has uh, survived the, the the internet uh you <laughs> still get cards that are handwritten not for parvo right but yeah. always for euthanasia yeah. always for euthanasia when you learn to do it correctly 
you know, people do appreciate, you know, how how it was done. So yeah, thank you for that, Celine. Let's go to question number six. Only two questions to go. What is one valuable free resource that you can direct people to that will further help with them? Well, I, I would direct you to our website, youthabike.com. So it's not just a website on a product being a veterinary body bag. It's really, mm. we want it to be a Carrefour, a, a, a resource somewhere where, where you can get some some resources as for the veterinary team as well as for the families. So we have a, a section for families to help them take the decision, how to deal with the guilt, find some support groups. We have coloring pages for kids. We have quality of life questionnaire. We have poems, handouts on how to bury a pet. So this is all free. You can all download it. And they're really simple resources that make a world of difference. Often when I see clients, I tell them, look, you're in front of probably the only vet that will explain you how to bury a pet. Often, you know, people want to bury their pet. They don't know what they're getting themselves into. They're totally ignorant. They've seen it in a movie and they think it's going to be so beautiful under the tree. They, you know, they have a golden retriever. I mean, it's going to need to be a meter deep. And, you know, under a tree, there's going to be rocks. There are going to be roots. But they they cannot, they cannot, you know, guess that this is going to be. So I tell them, you know, how, and then they go, oh my God, I had no idea. Plus now there's a big liability issue around home burial Mm. because several pets have been anesthetized or passed out because they digged up another pet, ate the pet, especially exotic pets. Uh, I just read a story on a Facebook group where they performed euthanasia on a guinea pig. People went back home, buried the pet, the dog, the family dog digged up the guinea pig. Yes, finally. He got yeah. him and then yeah. ate him, passed uh, out. I mean, imagine uh, this is a liability. The yeah. vet was responsible. And the vet, we all day leave people with a poisonous, it's, mm. it's a it's a dangerous, you know, it's, it's an animal. We shouldn't do that anymore yeah. in 2022. We should inform the people. So we have a form, at least communicate verbally. But when, mm-hmm. you know, I think that they don't compute very much because of all these emotions. So I have mm-hmm. a handout I give them. Mm-hmm. And then it's in the file that they were informed they should not do it, or at least, you know, they would know how deep, how far from a water intake mm-hmm. and what kind of soil. Yeah. I had a client once told me, oh, you know, he was not expecting to lose his pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very sudden. And then he said, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to bury him. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. Where are you going to do it? I'll just do it in the sand pit, you know, on my farm. Mm-hmm. Like, you mm-hmm. can't do the sand pit. No. Oh, I had no idea. So if I would have just left them go with his pet, who knows who would have digged them and you know so we're putting ourselves at risk by leaving these people going back home with a poisonous you know danger yeah, yeah. so that's something that you can find and you can customize it you know depending on your area the legislation in your area and so on so um just also helping people deal with the guilt the experience i i think it's is the enemy to fight you know with people just they they come they're a ball of guilt and i just want to undo that ball and make them feel like they've done the biggest or they've shown the biggest proof of love to their pet by taking mm-hmm. the hardest decision of their life some people say it was harder than buying a, a hardest harder decision than mm-hmm. buying a house or divorcing quitting their job i mean this is this is big we yeah. have to remember that that every yeah. pet that comes to us these people went through all this hassle of taking mm-hmm. the decision so we have questionnaires on you know quality of life so people can have 
a bit more perspective on that decision than if we just let tell them, well, you should think about it. Well, think about it. You don't have the perspective, you don't have the knowledge. So at least if we give them a questionnaire, then they'll be able to talk about it, you know, in the family, with their friends over time. And then this is professional. This is providing, you know, professional care, not just letting them with that decision. Absolutely. No, Celine, thank you. And that sounds like a really valuable resource on your website, youthabag.com. And we'll include that in the link that will be associated with the podcast so people can access it. And it sounds like a complete resource that deals with all or at least most of the aspects surrounding surrounding euthanasia, which again is, like you mentioned, is sadly not taught well enough. Yeah. Um, and also one thing I didn't mention, but how to, how to talk about pet loss with kids. Yeah. Coloring yeah. pages for kids and, and yeah, so and then books as well. Yeah, uh, we yeah, yeah, and you just highlighted that it's never too late to learn about it about stuff because in <laughs> my there's always more to learn. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I never fully appreciated that we're sending a you know when when owners take uh, their pets home to bury that they are full of this poison that we've just euthanized the pet with. So wow, you know that's an important bit to consider, but thankfully. I, the days of the back garden being a pet cemetery with more than one yes. are declining. At least, you know, that's um, yeah, my very fast. Yeah, in the UK. So, but it still happens. And there's so many emotions surrounding that. And I always encourage the vets to, you know, you mentioned guilt. You know, owners don't even want to bring up euthanasia. And vets would rather not talk about money or euthanasia, the two worst things that a vet would talk about <laughs> in practice. They try and avoid it. But we do need to teach vets to start bringing up the euthanasia option, you know, that clients are dreading anyway. So that's an important bit. So thank you, Celine. Oh, and, yeah. and one more little, little thing on liability. <laughs> there was also a case in Canada where a um, somebody that bought a property from somebody else uh, sued them because it was a pet cemetery in the backyard. Ah. And, you know, they wanted to build a gazebo, right? I don't know what. And then, you know, bones were flying up. Anyways, they sued the person wow. that sold the property and they won yeah. because it was something that did not mention. So that's something that is on our handout as well. Mention it. If you sell your property, just make sure you tell the buyers that there are a couple of pets, something simple. But again, you know, we're responsible of everything yeah. as vets. But that's one more thing we need to well, you know, think about. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, the, the legal ramifications extend well beyond the consulting room. So, uh, you know, no, thank you for mentioning that. That's an important bit, to be fair. And finally, Celine, question number seven, what's the one thing that I should have asked you that I failed to do? <laughs> oh, well, I, I was actually coming back to the what was the tip I would like to share. But the biggest game changer for me was to provide deep, profound sedation to the pet prior ah. to euthanasia. You know, I used to just I used to think it was okay to have the pet kind of interact still with the owners before euthanasia. I thought that was a great idea. It took me 15 years to figure out that wasn't that great of an idea. Mm. You know, it's much better if we have an animal that is totally out. It calms the animal. It calms the family. Mm -hmm. You notice that, you know, and then us, the veterinary team. So everybody feels better. Mm. And there's no more anticipation of a reaction from the pet. You know, is he going to withdraw his paws? Is he going to scream? Is he going to growl? Is he going to bite? So just getting rid of all that anticipation was mm-hmm. such a game changer for me. And then in, and how do you get there? What is the best protocol to get a deep sedation in mm-hmm. a dog or a cat? They're all different. So that's something I learned from Mary Gardner, one of the founder of Lap of Love. Yeah. And I just spread this recipe. It's also very affordable. 
Mm-hmm. And then just, just taking that has reduced my level of stress uh, using deep sedation before. And then, you know, it's a better transition for the family as well. It took me a while to figure this out. But imagine you bring your pet. He's like totally awake. You mm-hmm. give a sedation. He's a little out. And then once you get started giving me pento, three seconds later, he's dead. Like this mm-hmm. is so abrupt. This is yeah. so fast. And this is something families uh, complain about. You know, I just didn't have time to... You know, they, they cannot imagine it's going to go so fast. Only us know that. So at least yeah. when they're totally out in deep sedation before, then instead of being shocking, it's like, oh, it was so beautiful. He passed in his sleep. We all mm-hmm. want to pass in our sleep. So the, again, it's just a little subtle change that made a world of difference in my experience. And also it, it gives you uh, the possibility to use alternate injections ways you know such as intrahepatic intrarenal intra whatever if mm-hmm. you can't find the vein so you have one more so this is this can be very valuable if, even if it's only once in your career once in your year that you can use another way because you can't find a vein you know uh, wonderful one more one more tool in your toolbox yeah well wow Celine, and i couldn't have come up with a a better tip than the one you've just given sedation um Certainly changed the way I do things. It removed anxiety, a lot of you know, not all anxiety, but the anxiety of the of the process, at least the technical bits, you know. And even even as a vet, I you know, when the pet was sedated, it was a sigh of relief for me. I didn't have, I didn't feel the pressure, sometimes of of even hitting the vein, because the animal had some pain relief on board. It was sedated. It wasn't reactive, especially if the owners are going to be present for the actual euthanasia. So thank you for that. That is a uh, Really good tip. Wow, Celine, thank you. You know, you gave us some really valuable insights about how to how to honor the bond in reality between the vet, you know, the vet team, the pit, and the family. And that bond is strengthening all all the time. And I'm sure our listeners will take away some really valuable ideas and, and tips. And once again, Celine, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to join us today. It was a pleasure. As you can see, I could talk about euthanasia all day long. It's just I just <laughs> <laughs> I love to share about this very delicate topic. And uh, I really like your concept. It's a great idea. Thank you very much, Celine.